Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Around the Block podcast. On today's episode, I'm joined by Anatoly Yakovenko, the co-founder of the Solana blockchain. We got into some really great topics on Solana's core differentiators versus Ethereum, their thriving developer ecosystem, and even a new phone that they're building and they're shipping to customers in Q1. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome, Anatoly. Um, awesome to be here. Thank you. Thanks for being here as well. Um, uh, eager to just learn a bit more for our audience about what Solana is and everything you guys have been doing in the developer ecosystem. And especially over the last year, it's been a crazy year in crypto. You know, the FTX thing happened. We'll talk about all that stuff. But I think it's a good moment to sort of turn the page and talk about how you guys are building for the future. So maybe just to start off, can you share a little bit with us? Um, first of all, what is Solana? And, you know, why did you guys build it? Let's start with that. Totally. So the origin story. Um, so I'm an engineer by trade. I spend most of my career at Qualcomm. It's the company that uh, develops a lot of the technology that goes into cellular phone, like especially the modems. So it's a, kind of think of it as like the radio company for cellular. Um, and I worked on operating systems. So I wasn't like one of the radio protocol people, but just day in, day out, I worked on optimizations, like making stuff faster on these like, two megabyte like flip phones from, from that era to like the supercomputer you're holding your hand today. And 2017 came around and I had like a side project with a buddy of mine. We we're literally building deep learning hardware and mining crypto in the background. And that's what got my like brain flowing. What is proof of work? Why is it necessary? Like, why are we mining this stuff anyways? Why are, pe why are people paying us to do this? And uh, I had two coffees and a beer in a, I couldn't sleep. I was up to like 4 a.m. And I was like churning through this idea of single threaded mining. This idea that like you can somehow mine without needing to use a lot of GPUs or a lot of silicon, but create the same properties that you do with proof of work. And what I didn't realize, but I basically kind of like rediscovered verifiable delay functions. And it was mm -hmm. such a kind of mind blowing idea to me that there's a way to create data structures that represent the passage of time it was like, I don't know if you've ever like studied physics, there's no mathematical description of time. There's no error of time like it in math. You have to kind of just take it for granted that time only moves forward. And this is one of these constructs that's like, oh my God, this is like time moving forward. It's a, <laughs> it's a way to describe that time is passing in the universe. Um, and that really dislodged me from what I was doing and like my career and like decided to go take the plunge and go start a company. And I, because of my background and like spending all this time at Qualcomm and working on operating systems, I basically got a bunch of my colleagues together and like convinced them that we should build a smart contracts platform, that we're building an operating system. It's for developers. Developers are going to build a new kind of application on it. Just like we did in like 2004 for mobile phones, nobody thought that mobile apps would be amount to anything because at that time the only thing that phones were used for were ringtones <laughs> so you had to like imagine like imagine that thing becoming so powerful that the use cases that are like you're like imagining like happening are actually not possible and uh, because of my skill set i think i just really thought that what we're doing was obvious which is let's take BFT, which is the paper that was written in the late 90s. Byzantine fault tolerance. Yeah, Byzantine fault tolerance, which yeah. is a thing that works. And we optimize it and make it really, really fast. And we 
do that by just increasing the amount of hardware that these systems can leverage. And this is standard optimizations. This is stuff that like, if you've been an engineer in Web2, you've dealt with scale, you know how to like make data move through faster through a system by using more cores, by using like, you know, parallelization across SSDs and stuff like that and, and being more efficient with memory. I'm sure you guys have a team of rock star engineers that day in, day out optimize the stuff on your on your server infra. So this is what we applied to to blockchain. And what we thought was gonna be useful outcome of this is like I wanted to build a system that I thought would solve like a real world problem. And um one of the problems that we thought was interesting was finance and that the way that like New York Stock Exchange and like CME and all these other systems work is they actually internally they create uh, their own version of censorship resistance. What's cool with like BFT systems is that you can do that in code on a global scale with just the guarantees that Byzantine fault tolerance provides with a bunch of open hardware driven written, you know, an open source software that's built by volunteers. And we thought that was like a cool angle. So we called it blockchain and NASDAQ speed and decided to strictly focus on this idea of like, it's gonna be a global network at its final stage, information moving through Solana is gonna move as fast as news travels around the world. So like some event happens in Singapore, it flies through speed of light through fiber to a Bloomberg terminal in New York, the trader is gonna look at the price at NYSE or a price in a market running on Solana and see that price already reflected. And if we can get parity there, that means we're competitive with like, the best of the best at price discovery. And it's something useful because it's effectively free. Like it's just the cost of hardware and some open source software. So that was like the thing that we wanted to accomplish. And um, we focused on that use case like to a fault. <laughs> so, and that was 2018, 2019. When we launched in 2020, um, this was March 16th. I don't know if people remember March 12th was when everything nuked people just realized that there's a global pandemic the s p 500 the bitcoin dropped by like 60 percent in one day and our launch date was already set on march 16th and <laughs> myself as a founder like we had a, a team of like 19 people i was just so exhausted that there's no way i could have delayed it i was <laughs> like i don't know if you've been at that point in, in your startup career where you're like you know less than 10 months of runway you have to get to a product launch it doesn't matter what the macro environment does you just don't care anymore you're just so focused on getting this thing out the door that nothing's going to stop you so <laughs> that was like the state of mind and um how we launched and we the only thing that we really launched with was a fast blockchain we had coinbase custody support luckily worked with you guys and like a lot of the feedback from your team actually i think was super helpful in those early days. Um, and we had this demo where you could go break.solana.com and you smash your keys and you see with a keystroke, a very cheap transaction sent to the network and then confirmed. And it gave that like web two visceral experience that we really wanted to show people, look, there is such a thing as a fast blockchain. There's a way to like build next generation of experiences, obviously, Decentralized markets was something that we were really focused on. We had demos of like DEXs and all this other stuff, but the hope was that people, once they were given this tool, would just go and, and go build and then build really cool, fun stuff. Very cool. And by the way, break.solana.com is still there if people want to go mash the keyboard and see how, <laughs> how many transactions you can generate per second. 
Um, so I just want to go back to something you said a second ago. So you, it, it sounds like after your two coffees and a beer, you kind of rediscovered this time delay function. So maybe you can just talk a bit about like the consensus algorithm that emerged in Solana and you know what are the pros and cons of it? And I don't know if people are as familiar as they are with proof of work or stake. So maybe you can give us more detail on that. Yeah, in those early days, like I didn't, like there wasn't like a clear like, oh, this thing is gonna be used like this in consensus. That took some discovery. Uh, but the intuition that I had was that, I don't know if you ever, if you remember like your radio protocol classes from engineering school, computer science days, uh, there's this thing Maybe. called <laughs> EDMA, time division multiple access. And this mm. is the basis of how cellular networks work. Like when you have like a single radio channel, like everyone talking over the same frequency, if two people talk at the same time, like two radio towers transmit at the same time, you get interference because those radio waves interfere. So they alternate by time and they call these slots, maybe they're one second slots, or I think in modern day networks, they're like 20 millisecond slots. So you alternate every 20 milliseconds and, it, and who, can who can talk over what frequency is scheduled and is rotated quickly. And this is very different with how leader election works in like Tendermint or more traditional BFT systems because in Tendermint or like traditional BFT, uh, you have a leader schedule. Let's say I'm the first block producer and you're the second one. When I produce a block, you have to wait for the network to agree that I succeeded or failed before you can produce the next block. And those runs of commun communication kind of create these like delays in which transactions can go through. It basically stops the whole network, requires the whole network to come to agreement and then somebody else goes. So that just like, there's no way that could work for a radio, right? There's no way your cellular communication, like the way your conversation goes, can wait for all the towers to synchronize and then continue. So the way that they do it is they create the schedule and it's time-based. So if you miss your slot, the next person goes and you just can't communicate because you're creating interference. But this VDF was the insight that I had is that like, this is a physical delay based on some hard physics. It, you know, it's a, to kind of give you a high level idea of what it is, it's a SHA-256, the same function that Bitcoin uses, but it's run in a loop. So it's output is the next input. So instead of running it massively parallel, you run it, you spin it, and there's no way to parallelize it. The only way you can make it faster is by building a faster chip. And that's like a $40 billion proposition. You have to go, to, <laughs> you have to go from like three nanometers or whatever we're on to like one nanometer. And that's just so expensive that you kind of put a time bound on how fast anyone can get. Okay. We can use that, that physics delay in a very similar way to how Bitcoin uses the entropy, like forcing function that you have to solve this difficulty problem before you can make a block. You have to spin on your single core for a certain amount of time before you can make a block. That means that we're forcing you to wait until I should be done. Now, there's no guarantee that I'm done, but because I want my block to succeed, I will send my block out before I know you're going to start and then you'll chain your block to mine. And that kind of creates that whole like block propagation without any gaps, without any rounds. Okay, so you're, so you're using this um, cycles of SHA-256, the hashing function, where you're saying a whole industry of semiconductor manufacturing has been in place trying to make these chips faster and faster. And we know that if I, if I make you do enough cycles of SHA-256, it's gonna take some amount of time, that time is gonna have to elapse. 
And I guess what's happening in that time? It's giving the rest of the network, what, a chance to start working on the next block or for it, transactions to propagate? Yeah, it, it's giving the previous block producer a chance to transmit their block without uh, a competing fork. So okay. just like in Bitcoin, they're trying to target roughly one block every 10 minutes because if you have two block producers produce a block at the same time, they're both chained to the same parent. And now you have a fork. Nobody knows who is, who is the next block. But here there's a forced delay that we don't have to guess that somebody's the only one person is going to produce a block every 10 minutes. We know that you have to spin on your single core longer than me, and therefore your block is going to come after mine. So that collision is just physically impossible. Unless you try to like speed up your core, and then we know like the cost of that is pretty expensive. OK. So yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure I'm understanding the exact game theory of it. I'm sure it's like quite complicated. I have to go read more about it. But um, I guess what I'm taking away from this is that you were trying to make something that was another, I don't know, it's dramatically more scalable. And um, maybe you can just talk a bit about, it. do I have that correct, that the core differentiating feature of Solana is performance, scalability, and you know, what, so, are, what are the block times? And maybe talk a bit about that, yeah. So there's like this, Thing, the Vitalik coin, the scalability trilemma. Mm -hmm. And it's a trade-off between security, scalability, and decentralization. And the security of the network is how hard it is to cause it to create two forks that look right. Like, can I can I like mine an alternative version of Bitcoin that looks exactly like the real one and convince Binance to take my fake Bitcoin instead of the real Bitcoin? That's like the security of the system. And then Scalability is how many transactions can I th throw through it? How, many, how much information can I communicate through this network? And the, the other part, decentralization, is how... Um, this is a, the trick you want to explain, but like at the easiest level to understand it, it's how many participants, uh, how many different block producers, how many different observers, clients, can participate in the network at the same time. Mm -hmm. Because that's ultimately if you think of these systems as being like triple accounting where i have a ledger and you verify my ledger like my ledger does double accounting because it's a ledger but then we have a system where everyone verifies the same ledger and times it's like this triple accounting system the more participants we have the more likely that there's at least one honest one that can catch somebody trying to create an invalid ledger and say hey wait a minute the whole network is trying to steal money and we should stop so mm -hmm. that decentralization part is really, really important because that's fundamentally what prevents, you know, all the, you know, five mining pools that that supposedly control all the hash power in Bitcoin from stealing all the Bitcoin. It doesn't matter how much hash power they have because the network is so decentralized that there's at least one block producer in the world that actually will detect that they're trying to fake, create a fake ledger and steal and steal Bitcoin. Even if they have the most hash power, they can't convince valid nodes from doing that. Mm -hmm. So those are the three parameters. The, the thing is, is that like, because of how consensus has been designed prior to Solana, it's really, really hard to max out the decentralization piece in this traditional way, or let's just take BFT and have 10,000 nodes. There's just were no designs that could do that. And this is why like Ethereum and almost I, basically everyone else started building sharding some way, some, some, some form of sharding or another, whether it's like you have subnets or 
whatever else or like parachains or sh or like data availability shards they're trying to split the network into different pieces with 200 nodes in in like each little piece and somehow convince all the pieces that they're all consistent mm -hmm. we just didn't need to do that because the way that solana's consensus works is that we can add any number of nodes and it doesn't create any gaps in communication and it doesn't slow down communication because of this time delay function that we're using. So every additional node adds another message that needs to be propagated, but it doesn't require us to run these really slow rounds of consensus between every block. So this was very, like, I don't know, a bunch of Qualcomm hardware engineers, like, okay, this is a problem. Why don't we solve it with, with hardware? <laughs> that was that was kind of like the design that we came up with and it worked really well. Like um, Solana's block times are 400 milliseconds. Mm -hmm. The confirmation time is then from the client, like me as a user, we're not measuring the confirmation time between blocks as most chains do. Like when, when you play break, it's confirmation time from your web browser, from like the web socket connected to the first RPC node. That's between one and two seconds. And that includes the time to go find the next block producer, get them to process your transaction and realize that it's valid and then include it in a block the block gets sprayed to, I don't know, at this point, it's like roughly 2,000 validators, and all of them vote. And then you see super majority of those votes, and that's, you're confirmed. So all that, we're able to do that at a global scale in about like one to two seconds, which is, I think, really, really cool. Something that nobody expected would be possible. I guess just going back to this security, or sorry, the, the scalability trilemma, um, where you can look at security, scalability, decentralization. Is it fair to say that Solana um, gave a little bit on some of those dimensions to get more scalability? Or do you feel like the the the, the algorithm um, that you guys created basically allowed you to get the best of both worlds or something like that? If you follow me on crypto Twitter, this is the big debate that I have with a lot of Ethereum folks that are amazing, amazing engineers. Um, and the debate is, are bigger systems like bigger validators, a sacrifice that sacrifices decentralization. So the reason why that that's important is because um, security of the network, it, it really does depend on this idea of at least one honest validator. Um, so if you have a system like Ethereum, they have about 8,000 full nodes right now. Solana has about 3,500. So maybe like Ethereum is like a, a little more than two times bigger. Um, if at least one of these full nodes is honest, it means that even if the rest of the validators are corrupt, 100% of the stake is corrupt, they can't convince that one full node that, they, that they're going to spend all the money. They're going to take all the soul and move it into somebody's account. That one full node will see that as an invalid state transition. That operator, if they're like a good operator, will, will see, hey, my node is just flagged that the network is like did something invalid, something's going wrong, and they will talk about They will like tell everybody, right? And the network will halt and we'll see that like, hey, there's like, for some reason, a, a major catastrophic bug. And from a very high level, that's a really, really important in a practical sense. This is what makes these systems peer to peer. So your, your argument is that um, Bitcoin might require 51% of the hashing power or Ethereum might have 51% of the stake or something. But in Solana, it just one, one this good actor about, can save the day. This is also true about Bitcoin or Ethereum. If if uh, all that miners in Bitcoin decide to change their Bitcoin core code, 
and issue twice as many block rewards, all the valid Bitcoin nodes that are not participating in that change will reject those blocks. Binance mm -hmm. will reject those blocks. Coinbase will reject those blocks. And it doesn't matter how much hash power they have. Like you've, they've basically okay. forked themselves out. So that idea that like there's full nodes that are honest and not corrupted that is really, really important. And those full nodes don't care about the rest of the network. What they care about is like, I'm processing my ledger, I know the rules and nothing can like make, like break those assumptions. Um, okay. that, that, that's like the fundamental security. Like what's really cool about it is that like, it's, a, it's not a system that's coercive. It's everybody opts into it because they know the rules and anyone can veto at any time. They can say, hey, I'm gonna fork off. I'm gonna build my own chain, <laughs> right? And if- right. But that, I guess, what's the, core, um, what's the core debate around decentralization there? What's well, the core point if, you're making? If you have big nodes like Solana, if the requirements for hardware are much higher, that makes it harder for a smaller, like funded individual to go ver verify the ledger, mm -hmm. right? Like Coinbase can afford it. All the businesses running on Solana can do it, like Magic Eden, every NFT project or whatever. Anyone, there's a big pile of servers that, that people can afford to get. But the argument coming from the Ethereum like folks is that it's not a Raspberry Pi. It means that I can't like go validate it at my home. And that means it's inaccessible to the vast majority of the world. And this is the big debate. And I think it's a very fair debate and very open one. And this is where we get down to the practical reality of the world. There's a lot more users on Ethereum than 8,000 users. So say maybe 20 million MetaMask users, if you count those. So 99.99% of those MetaMask users don't run a full node. So they rely on the, this idea that there's at least one honest full node in that, in that system that can validate for them. And this is true about Solana. And then Coinbase is an intrinsic reason for the Solana ledger to not be corrupted. So does Circle, so does like Binance, so does every like good participant. So we need more of those. And the way we create more of those is we really need to make the chain as useful as possible. And it's gotta be cheap and fast. Cause this is like, you can't have slow blockchains that cost dollars to transact on for the vast majority of the world to care about them. So my my view on this is that- So uh, not, every, not everyone needs to run their own full node. Most people are gonna rely on some third party to operate and talk to it, but what, what your argument is what it just needs to be just sufficiently decentralized where it, there's at least one good node or a couple in the world at any given time. And, you know, I guess the average user may not be connected to one of those, but like decentralization, what, yeah. my argument is that decentralization is uh, follows adoption and like usefulness to the world product market fit. Mm -hmm. like, you know, like it's not a, if I forked Ethereum and somehow made it like more efficient and cheaper to run and like, instead of a Raspberry Pi 10, it runs on a Raspberry Pi 4. That thing is not any more decentralized if it's less useful to the world, like no one's gonna care. Mm -hmm. What's important is like, is the system permissionless? Can anybody run software and hardware? And is it creating more value to the world than the cost to run it? And if that's true, and like we see lots of businesses being established in the network and like creating value, all those businesses care that the network is consistent and valid. And that's that's like the core part of decentralization. And for the users, like I think, I don't know if folks have heard about light clients. These these are protocols that can guarantee that when you communicate with a network, you 
that you actually have guarantees that are very a very small percentage of them are honest that you you know that the network is not corrupted and that's mm -hmm. kind of the second layer of of like security that you can provide to to users that depend on a decentralized network but don't run their own full nodes but my 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 core thesis here is that like like for all practical purposes decentralization also has to be practical it has to like you have to have these full nodes you have to have honest operators you have to have people that actually know how to run these systems like if you stick uh, a full node in every windows machine and like my parents are running one and it gets corrupted because of a virus on their box it's no longer useful for security purposes right like you actually need like a very full stack security aware and security conscious operators that are providing security and that only comes when there's real world value being created like on this network that is like a business reason for them to run it yeah well that i mean that definitely makes sense to me which is if you want to increase decentralization make something useful get more adoption for it and you'll get yeah. more people to run more like you know i guess sophisticated actors to run full nodes that makes sense I guess we should touch on kind of the Solana ecosystem in a, in a minute and just like how it's evolved and, and everything. But before we leave this topic around scalability, I just wanted to ask about um, layer two solutions on other chains and Ethereum and Bitcoin and everything. And so I guess some people would say, well, scalability will come on layer two. And, um, you know, there's obviously trade-offs to that around like we need, you know, the, the user interface is sometimes confusing. People have to bridge and like, we need to make that simpler and simpler. But how do you think about that? Is Solana basically saying we're going to do it all on layer one, or you're going to also have layer two? And then I guess how would you compare Solana and its and its performance benefits to layer two across uh, writ large? Um, so like from a kind of like a very academic engineering analysis, like what's cool about Solana is that it can handle the load in parallel. It's not like a single threaded runtime. So when you have a bunch of transactions for independent actions, like an NFT mint, a DEX trade, and a payment, it can actually process them all in parallel. The way that Ethereum works is that every transaction kind of locks the entire state from a database perspective. It gets access to the entire database, and then it does whatever it wants, and then the next one goes. Solana actually has isolation between every transaction, so you know that this one's only touching NFTs, this one's only doing DEX stuff, this one's only doing payments. So because they're all non-overlapping, you just process all of them at once. So if you had a, a, a layer two, you can have a layer two on Ethereum, let's say that could do things in parallel. That layer, you don't need any more layer twos. <laughs> like, you only need one layer two that can do everything in parallel. And then you have one layer two and one layer one. Why don't you just fuse them together and optimize and like make the system more robust? So there's lots of reasons why layer twos may succeed. Um, because they could be like spe very specific programming environments. They have, could have a great BD team or like great, you know, go to market or whatever, or localize. Just having a, a thing that's built for China or like Brazil or whatever could be very successful simply because that team is focused there. Um, so, but like from a very high academic point of view, you don't strictly need layer twos. Now, there's actually teams building layer twos on Solana. Um, like one of the use cases that they want to do is like, well, you have Solana as a really fast blockchain and it's got these pools of liquidity that are globally synchronized and they're really, really fast and easy to access. What if we build like a high frequency derivatives engine on top that could do this like sub one millisecond trading 
it's trading faster than news. It's trading on like the actual like market maker connectivity and all this other stuff and providing a very like unique experience for those folks. There's no way a global blockchain can do that simply because we're limited by the speed of light going around the world. Mm -hmm. um, so that's awesome. Like from my perspective, I think those technologies should exist and people are building them. Um, but from like a, a kind of this like kind of highbrow engineering, do we need a layer two? If we can demonstrate that we can handle a bunch of stuff in parallel, we don't strictly need it. And it's just going to be a matter of like execution. From like practical perspective, layer twos are really, really hard to build. Like when you look at like optimism and arbitrum, um, they're not yet at a stage where they have like fraud proofs and full decentralization. They're still kind of like these early early stage MVPs that are single node systems that have very strict control about what happens there. Um, and that is just really, really hard to get to that final stage where you have perfect layer twos with fraud proofs and all these like all these corner cases handled. Um, and to do that, they have to focus on that security part first and then figure out how to scale. And it's not clear that the complexity of both is, is achievable. I think it's good that we have different teams working on different blockchains, like, you know, in the free market of ideas, <laughs> it creates sort of a little Absolutely. bit of a competitive environment. Like, you know, it's kind of like having iOS and Android or something is way better than where Windows was, you know, 95% of market share or something. So um, it's, it's, it's good that we're seeing that kind of development. Um, and it sounds like you guys have kind of invested in this parallelization aspect, if I understand it correctly. Okay, so let's just switch gears a bit and talk about the Solana ecosystem. And, you know, uh, based on these performance characteristics that you guys have gotten out there, which, you know, is honestly like kind of a breakthrough in terms of the scalability, um, it seems like a, a whole lot of applications have started to develop there. And there's this kind of um, parallel ecosystem how do you, first of all, maybe you can just talk about some of the highlights of that. Like what are some of the core use cases and applications that have gotten traction? And um, do you see it evolving, I guess, as like a parallel ecosystem to uh, the other major ones out there? Or is it actually going to be interoperable somehow from the user's point of view? And it'll all be kind of magic underneath <laughs> which um, which system you happen to be on? Um, I think there's something like from like a business perspective i don't think the when you build like a business on top of a of a chain you probably do care about like the fundamental characteristics about it because you kind of have a specific product vision and who you're targeting and if you care about like low latency like fast response times you're probably going to go more towards solana and uh there's a reason to go for Ethereum is when if you want to like really target Ethereum users and you're building a, a business in the Ethereum ecosystem you want MetaMask and you want like those users uh, and they kind of think of it as a distribution channel. So there is, I think, like different founders kind of bucket themselves pretty rapidly. Hey, I want to build an Ethereum for ETH. I'm going to work around the challenges there and build the best UX I can. But what I care about is Ethereum and its distribution. Or like, I think Solana can give me the best UX for the general public and I'm going to build something here. And you kind of like in the early days, like Orca, which you can think of it as Uniswap, their vision was like, we want to build the simplest, easiest user experience for for like swapping, like a Uniswap like competitor, but they didn't care about like going after the Ethereum ecosystem. What they wanted is to like bring that UX to the general public. So 
those are there's a lot of examples like that i think right now like the kind of there is like basically like verticals that have figured people have figured out certain small verticals at work on in crypto and that's like nfts and marketplaces and like dexes like there's a dexes and like borrow lending and all those parallels exist on solana and they're smaller but tvl DeFi, i think is much much smaller than ethereum um nfts are about i would say like half to a third to you know like on a, on a day-to-day in volume so some parts of the ecosystem i think are competing very competitive with with ethereum some are, are much more behind but it is a very parallel ecosystem on its own but there's some weird use cases that haven't really like i would say broken out yet but are definitely growing is things like helium which is uh mm-hmm. they were building their own blockchain um to manage uh you know hundreds of thousands of iot radio devices and now they're building 5g cellular cellular network um running your own blockchain is a huge pain <laughs> it's a lot of work and building your own radio infra is a lot of work so they are like why are we doing both yeah <laughs> they pick solana because it's cheap and fast and the way that our pair like fee markets and parallelization it kind of gives them a guarantee that the network's going to stay cheap and fast for their use case for a very long time and like basically give that guarantee for them like night you know on an almost day-to-day basis um that's a better proposition for them to like use solana than to build their own chain and they can't really go to Ethereum or even an Ethereum L2 because they really need transactions that are much, much lower than one or two cents. Um, so there's some some use cases that are, I think, part of like the big vision of, of crypto, like really decentralizing the fundamental ways how we interact with technology, how we interact with like uh, commerce and things like that. There, there are a ton of pitches in 2017, if you remember, about like <laughs> disrupting everything. Some mm-hmm. of them are actually getting built, and those I think make a lot more sense on a like a high performance, uh, low low cost, like uh, low latency chain like Solana. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, that's a cool idea of just having such cheap, fast payments that you know you can send along almost with every API call or like in this case, I guess, to get internet access. So it, you never have to enter a Wi-Fi password again. I mean, that, that yeah. would be pretty awesome uh, for everyone, I think, if you could just go around and equally, it'd be awesome to be able to put out some kind of IoT device and just sort of collect rent on it, um, you know, like a camera at the freeway, looking at the freeway or the weather. Or, uh, the well, Hive, mapper, Hive Mapper is literally like um, Google Earth, but decentralized. They mm-hmm. use cameras to collect, you know, uh, data all, like while people are driving and they're doing all this coordination between the drivers and the data set and payments on Solana. So I guess maybe just look into your crystal ball here for a minute <laughs> for the next five years. Do you think this is the industry is going to start to consolidate and developer ecosystems will start to consolidate around certain chains um, or, you know, like most industries, they start off fragmented and then they and then they consolidate down. Um, and I guess you know, do you guys feel like, are you in competition with Ethereum? Is it, um, or other chains? Is it like, hey, we're all kind of racing to get the, the best applications and ship the most updates? Or is it actually not like that at all? Yeah, it's weird. Cause like, we're, uh, we're building products in crypto and we have this protocol that we're maintaining. And like, there's other teams that are maintaining the protocol. There's nothing actually stopping Solana Labs from building Ethereum products. And like vice versa, like OpenSea, would you call that an Ethereum 
company. They launched, you know, they have a product running on Solana. It's a really weird space because there's a lot of collaboration across ecosystems. Um, we are, we're building a phone, right? Like there's support for Solana on this thing, but we would love to add Ethereum if there's like a team that's like, hey, we need Ethereum support for our app. Like, can you help us? Definitely. Like that. That's that's like a really weird place where the growth is moving much much faster than anyone really cares about. Like fighting for for like all of the pie, like in a zero sum way. Um, and I don't know if it's because it's all a bunch of open source software and there's kind of no moats and like anyone can fork anything. I think that that's maybe part of part of it, um, or that like there's a you know. A bunch of technologists that just really want to see how this how like crypto can transform the world so i think that part is, is pretty cool and like the kind of MA that like would kind of be obvious can like solana merge with like avalanche or near i think that would be too hard <laughs> like <laughs> there's just like uh it's like linux merging with uh, bsd like these are open source technologies anybody can borrow ideas from anyone else some like there's open discussion about what gets built and like there's actually a free flow of information between core ethereum devs and solana devs and like avalanche devs and all that stuff is actually moving the system much much faster mo moving the entire like ecosystem much faster but i don't know if there's like a moment where you're like how do we merge stuff together that'd be really weird but you do see things like helium decide to abandon their own like application specific blockchain and like, okay, we're gonna instead use Solana because it's good enough, and like, we don't want to spend the resources of, of managing our own. And that's more like consolidation. I think that kind of consolidation should start seeing where the teams that are building more like products that are crypto-focused products, but not the layer one, decide we don't need to run our own layer one. That's actually like a bigger lift than we really need to, and our product can work on any blockchain. I think that's a great description. It, you're right. Open source is very co-opetition or whatever. It's like collaborative. It's a free market of ideas. Like people are borrowing. And like I said, I'm glad more of these things exist because it's creating more optionality for cool things to be built. Um, I'm glad you brought up the phone, by the way. I was, I was going to ask you about that. So when I was at your office, I got a chance to play with it. You were talking about, you know, Helium is like make their own blockchain and make 5G, you know, radio uh, like devices, whatever. So somehow you guys found it in your time to like make a phone, yeah. which is pretty awesome, by the way. But tell us a little bit about the phone. Like, why? What? What can you get in a phone if you think about it as like a crypto native phone from the from the ground up? So this is like go to SolanaMobile.com and you can go read about it. This is a stock Android device built by this company called Awesome. So it's really really high quality hardware. Like, uh, I think this is like the best standard device, I think, in the world. Um, the reason why you'd want a crypto features in it is because the seed phrase, the self-custody piece, that's so important to crypto. Um, it just really, really feels natural when the seed phrase and the secret is stored inside the secure element of the hardware that you use like on a day-to-day -day basis. Because that's where your biometrics are stored. That's where like the most important information that's part of your device are stored. And that means that wallets like Phantom, Soulflare, or like any application that uses crypto, they can actually ask the operating system for your identity. There's now like, give me your ID. I don't need to switch between wallets. I can actually sign natively directly. I have this like Apple Pay-like experience. And 
that I think unlocks like the kind of UX that I think everyone's dying for in crypto. Like, yeah. like you want you want the Web three UX to be as good as Apple Pay. And this is what we want to do. And obviously, there's like a very practical reason for this. I think like the big app stores, the way that they treat content is a uh, is in a way that the user doesn't own the content. Even though there's a lot of companies that make money of user generated content, they don't actually let you own any of it. So the cre the company that runs the app or like the platform that runs the service like Instagram, Apple can charge them 20-30% on all the transactions going through that through that service because they don't consider that content as truly be owned by the user. Magic Eden is doesn't own any of the content. They have a marketplace that's user owned content that's being sold there. They cannot charge $13,000 in the App Store NFT transaction when that NFT costs $10,000 on the desktop. There's just no way they can do that, nor can they eat that cost. And that that really breaks the Web2 business models for, for these big, big app stores. And I think there's a 1% you know, chance of building a competitive app store to, to Google and Apple. I think you know the only way that happens is an act of Congress or crypto. So we're, <laughs> we, we're we're taking the crypto route. Like we can build and take a shot at it. You know, it's a high risk, high reward kind of thing. I think uh, we sold out of all the developer kits. There's like a very strong kind of developer grassroots adoption. I hope that translates into like retail consumer adoption later on in the year. But we'll see. But this is an awesome device and like. Devs love it, and devs love this idea of actually having full-featured crypto support in their phone, where they don't have to worry about accidentally leaking your your seed phrase and stuff like that, and like having that awesome Apple Pay UX. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, you're right. Like the secure enclave on these phones should be able to store your crypto seed phrases. It's kind of crazy that you can't currently today on iOS and, and Android, and like I hope they copy that feature, but they haven't currently. And then you're right, like the app stores. Uh, especially the Apple App Store is blocking the ability to send and receive NFTs, to buy NFTs right now. People don't realize they're blocking this functionality in a lot of apps, including the Coinbase app. And they, you know, they won't add uh, crypto payments into in-app payments to even if we wanted to pay 30% fee, which probably is a little bit onerous. So anyway, I think you're right. There's antitrust issues there. Congress is looking at that. The European Union is looking at that. But you know, why wait for that? Let's this is crypto. Yeah. Let's build a let's build a better solution. Like so I love that you guys are building a phone, and that's that's awesome. I hope people check it out. So when is this thing going to be available for pre-order? So like it's a, it's available for pre-order right now. So go to SolanaMobile.com and like pre-order it. Um, the devices for re for like consumers are should ship in like I think end of Q1, maybe start of Q2. But the developer kit's already shipping. Um, so it's real. Like it's built. It works. It's got awesome like an awesome hardware build, awesome camera. Like it to me, it feels snappier than the iPhone Pro, but uh, I hope I hope folks appreciate it. This is like the first time I've ever seen people tweet that they're willing to give up their iPhone for an Android device. Yeah. So I'm, I'm pretty excited. <laughs> that's, that's, that's high praise, yeah. And it, it's cool, you guys built basically a native piece of code into the OS that pops up. You can just put your fingerprint and it pays with Solana. You guys are supporting any crypto on there in the future, I, I assume, right? Yeah, uh, we have a small team building this. It's like five people. So we MVP, build Solana support. Uh, it's open source. If you're like a hardcore 
Ethereum, Max or whatever, just go help us add your second favorite chain on there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, I mean, it becomes like a crypto phone writ large. And for sure. I think that'll be that'll be super cool. Is there anything else you want us to know? I mean, there was like this phenomenon that happened with Bonk. <laughs> There's like anything else on the Solana roadmap you want to talk about? Like, um, yeah. What What are your thoughts? So I would say like the coolest thing in the in the ecosystem that's being built that's like very engineering nerdy is Fire Dancer. Hmm. This is like um, Jump, which is uh, one of the biggest financial firms in the world. They're a market maker for a lot of crypto companies. Um, they are actually very like engineering driven and they're, they're like a tech company. You can think of them as a tech company. Um, they're pretty excited about this idea of like a fair, open, permissionless layer for finance, like the execution layer. And they're building a second implementation of the Solana validator. They're building everything from scratch in C with like super high performance optimized code. They did a demo during Breakpoint where they demonstrated through like part of their pipeline that can handle 600,000 transactions per second on commodity hardware. Hmm. And this is basically like, if we had all the resources in the world in those early days, like this is how we would have built this thing, but <laughs> we had to ship and build and like build a company and, and like get like go to market and everything else. They have the, the benefit of seeing the end of the research and like the start and the end of the maze at the same time and can actually build this like thing from scratch from the ground up. Um, and what's cool about it is going to add a bunch of performance. It really is going to demonstrate that Solana, Solana is going to scale with Moore's Law, that all you need to do is just add more cores and there's more capacity. But it's also second client, which means you're not trusting right. a single source, a single code base, even if it's open source. Uh, you're not trusting one set of humans that could create bugs and accident uh, for maintaining this uh, verifiable ledger. Now that you have two, the probability of a bug occurring in both exactly the same bug is virtually zero. So that that's like I think a, a really fundamental big change. And I think the only other blockchain with two like reliable deployed clients is Ethereum. So that that's I think a very important change I think uh, for Solana. Yeah, and, yeah. The client diversity is a, is a really good metric in terms of yeah. decentralization as well. So um, that's really cool that they're jumping in and building that and continue to focus on scalability. Yeah, what, what's the best way for listeners to go interact and learn more about Solana, to get their first Solana, a little bit of it? And yeah, where, where would you point people? Um, Solana.com is a lot of information. Follow Solana on Twitter. Um, if you wanna get like super technical and nerdy, follow me on Twitter, I'm, I'm pretty easy. And I often argue about decentralization and hardware and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Well, look, I admire you guys a lot. Um, you and Raj uh, were very kind to host me at the office. Really cool what you guys have been building, pushing the tech further and further, building an amazing community, driving usability across a bunch of dimensions, you know, the phone, the store, like um, the parallelization, like the payment use cases. So it's really cool to see. Um, I'm really glad you guys are in the ecosystem and that so many developers are using it. So appreciate um, it. And like, all people don't realize that like labs is only like 75 people all of the stuff that's happening most of it is external like the wallets the developer tooling all of the stuff is built by like amazing other companies i think in 22 there were like six different unicorns that just like were created in the solana ecosystem and they're they're actually have more people and doing more, most of the work and it's um 
this is like the coolest part of building an ecosystem is when you see somebody else just like outpace you and just do much, much better product development than than you could ever imagine. Well, thanks for joining us today, Anatoly. And uh, yeah, looking forward to talking more soon. For sure. Thank you. This has been the Around the Block podcast. In the meantime, you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for listening. Today's conversation is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal or investment advice. Actual results may vary materially from any forward-looking statements made and are subject to risks and uncertainties.